0: welcome to the casting across fly fishing podcast i'm matthew of castingacross.com where i explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing it's coming from so The Fuse, Jackson Brown, The Pretender. 1976. Singer-songwriters hit even better at five in the morning. Familiar lyrics accompany familiar highways. Alan and I were accustomed to the meandering route from Northern Virginia to South Central Pennsylvania. Seven to Leesburg, 15 North through Point of Rocks, past Big Hunting Creek in Thermont, and then West over South Mountain in Cumberland County, Pennsylvania. We both cut our fly fishing teeth in the yellow breeches. With driver's licenses, wanderlust, and some fly shop tips, we began to explore more rivers. More spring creeks. Spring creeks within a few hours of metro Washington, D.C., they demanded an early start on Saturdays. Fish that were spooky and selective by nature didn't tolerate being fished over multiple times in the morning. Little Lies, Fleetwood Mac, Tango in the Night, 1987. The McDonald's in downtown Gettysburg is at the far right end of Hancock's defensive position, or, if you prefer, the far left edge of Pickett's Charge. Regardless, this morning in the pre-dawn hours, they were playing synth-pop. Empty fast-food restaurant music hits loudly, especially at 6 in the morning. Alan wasn't always as concerned about lunch as me. So I wanted hotcakes and sausage and anything that would allow me to survive until late afternoon. Plus, I was dead set on digging my heels in and catching a trout on the LaTorte. Neither of us had ever been, but we read, heard, and fantasized. It was the stuff of mid-Atlantic angling legend. Twilight Zone. Golden Earring. Cut. 1982. Sunlight was breaking behind us as we crested the gentle hill coming out of Mount Holly. The anticipation and the loud classic Prague psychedelic rock hit just right and I tried to pass a car on the narrow road. Alan jerked the wheel back to the right and I played it off. Soon enough we were in our waiters, and in over our heads. We'd fish spring creeks. We'd fish spring creeks in South Central Pennsylvania but nothing like the high grasses, muddy banks, waving aquatic vegetation, and swirling currents that'll detort. All these years later, I know there are fish there. That day, I was just trying to get my crest bug in the water. No fish frustration is one thing. Snags, getting wet, and not seeing any fish frustration is a whole other level. It started to rain. We quit while we weren't losing as bad as we could be losing. Tuesday's Gone. Leonard Skinnerd. Pronounced Leonard Skinnerd. 1973. Twenty years later and I can't remember after driving away from the stream. Not because of trauma or because I took a hit from something you'd pass around at a southern rock show. Because whether we went straight home in the late morning or just fished one of our safer creeks the rest of the trip wasn't remarkable. For whatever reason, the tracks of that morning and my first trip to a river I would come to fish regularly are clear in my mind. On my next visit, I'd catch a small brown trout on a crest bug along an old bridge abutment. Years after, I'd move to Carlisle and fish the Latorre multiple times a week. Countless fish, countless stores, but only a few that stand out as much as my first time and the river winning. Back to the beginning again, Switchfoot, Fading West, 2014. The last fish I caught in LaTorte was a small brown trout. I was driving through Pennsylvania and made a few hours for some casts. The brown and the nostalgia hit from undercut bank, making my day end my trip. There are more productive waters I could fish I'm in the mid-Atlantic. There are rivers I've never fished that are worth exploring and discovering. That does happen. But it's okay to have a favorite record, have a favorite stream two decades worth of collected angling memories. This little creek gets a lot of play time. That is from a piece called Spring Creek on Repeat that came out earlier this year. And you know it really hits on some of those high notes of fly fishing but just kind of on our experiences. There's nostalgia there's music, and uh, there's the common angling trope of a river getting the best of you, but walking away not feeling like you lost. And uh, all three of those things are awesome. I mean, starting with music, I uh, music is one of those subjects that I have really hesitated to talk about on casting across because it is just such a big topic, and it's something that's so personal and you know really sharing kind of what i listen to when i'm on my way to the stream and i'm on my way from the stream i don't know if it would resonate but the idea of listening to something on the stream or not on the stream on the way to the stream or on the way from the stream that resonates and so like in this piece those those four or five songs i mentioned some of them i had no control over uh, some of them were limited by what cd's we had in the car at the time you know back in the in the uh, late 90s But uh, they're they're representative of of what I listen to and uh, with the exception of maybe Little Lies by Fleetwood Mac. I was a little late in their catalog for my... Preference, but um, you know those those songs they stuck in my mind, and when I was writing this, it was very easy to recall the music that I listened to and the moments that were tied up in it. I could do so many other um, moments and so many other experiences, and and I know what I was listening to. And more recently, I can like talk about the podcast I was listening to, and while I was on my way to the stream, and you know, music really does move us in some some really cool ways. And so uh, that's something I, I might explore more in the future. But like I said, it's a little intimidating. So one of the other things that uh, this piece touched on was nostalgia. And nostalgia is a weird impulse, isn't it? And it's one of those things that uh, we can either really enjoy or it can kind of pull us back in a very negative manner. And a perfect example of this is I don't think I got over breaking up with South Central Pennsylvania until about three years ago. It was rough. I I did not take to fly fishing New England well when I moved from Pennsylvania to uh, Massachusetts back in 2010 because I'd been fishing in South Central Pennsylvania and these rivers that I grew up fishing and that I absolutely loved for years. And uh, what I was finding wasn't the same. It's not necessarily better or worse or different it is different um i mean there's no striped bass running on any of those small spring creeks in pennsylvania and i can be uh, at, at the coast in about uh, 20 minutes from here um th- there's all sorts of different fisheries and, and different opportunities and i've come to enjoy them but it really took um a year of living in virginia a few years ago to kind of make me realize that the grass isn't always greener and nostalgia is good and it's nice but that is not the present the past is not the present that's a very obvious thing and not to get too philosophical but you know what you experience now it's good for what it is doesn't mean you can't look back on things and enjoy them for what they were but don't let that dictate your current experience, especially when it comes to things like where you're fishing, where you're hunting, your, your environment, uh, what's around you, what kind of cuisine is, is in your neighborhood. Um, so nostalgia has the potential to be good and charming and fun uh, and, and not just uh, something that drags you back and uh, makes you makes you wish you weren't where you were. But the third thing, the third thing is, uh, you know, probably the the moral of that story uh, that I, that I told earlier, and that is the losses that we suffered on the stream and how they aren't really necessarily losses, in the sense that I didn't catch a fish, but that was a great humbling experience. Thinking we were bulletproof teenagers going out there ready to catch fish, you know, this is easy peasy but uh in reality we got humbled we got shown that we didn't know exactly what we were doing and uh looking back on it now i remember that first time out that i caught a fish then the next trip and it was this small brown trout that it was really dumb luck it was one of those situations where i cast into a deeper pool that had some funky currents going on and my unweighted uh sow bug scud uh, imitation um, had no strike indicator and so that thing was just swirling around in there and the drag of the line being pulled out of the pool while the fly was still kind of swirling in the pool is what created the initial tension that caused me to set the hook on this little 8-inch fish. A, a more mature fish probably wouldn't have, um, have tolerated all of that in my in my lackadaisical uh, uh, nymphing, but this fish did, and it, it gave me confidence that there were fish in there and that I could find them. And as I've talked about countless times on the podcast, and I've written about numerous times on CastingAcross.com, I've caught a lot of fish in the LaTorte, a lot of big fish, Um, fish on streamers, fish on dry flies, fish on midges, fish on nymphs, fish out of that very same pool I caught that first little brown trout on. But that first little brown trout is very, very special. And, you know, there's a lot of 12 and 14 and 16-inch fish that I can't recall their specifics. I can't tell you their stories, but I can tell you the story of that little 8-inch, 6-inch brown trout. I can tell you the story of being skunked that very first time. And then, of course other fish and that's kind of um where i would put the the last fish i caught so interestingly enough it was a similar fish about six or eight inches and i got there and i was not planning on fishing the latour that day but the valley was blown out there had just been a system that had been sitting on top of the valley and dumping water and so the very thing that makes that valley so productive is geology and it's hydrology were are actually it's kind of worst enemy when you get these systems that come through thankfully they clear out very quickly because of the predominant spring systems that feed into the uh, majority of the popular trout fishing spots um, so they, they, they flush out that, that water. It's not running necessarily out of the mountains um, to the spring creeks. The spring creeks are, are generating their, their own water, um, but of course the groundwater has to go somewhere. So all that to say, um, if I would have waited two days, I could have fished anywhere I wanted to fish. But that day, everything was high, everything was muddy, everything was milky, um, except for um, the spot I found in the La Torte but it still was tough fishing um, fish were not moving around I don't know if it had to do with all that warm water because it was the middle of the summer and so it was nice the, the water coming off of the uh, ground was warm um, the rain was warm itself and uh, it just was a tough go but I saw some fish I moved some fish I saw some big fish I can even remember right now um, in my mind and that's usually where you remember isn't it but I can see it in my mind um, a very dark brown trout with a very big head and saw the white of its mouth and its head jerking to the right as I pulled that streamer right out of its mouth. And uh, that haunted me for quite a while. Um, Not so much that I missed a big fish or I missed that fish, but because that was the first fish that I seriously had uh, come after my fly that day. But it wasn't but a few minutes later that I um, just drifted a, a large nymph through a very deep but very narrow pool and this little fish came out and hit it and, uh, I was given the patience to wait a second, watch it take, and then set the hook and not be so, uh, um, yippee in my, in my hook set. So those are the kind of things that, you know, they, they make fly fishing what it is. And the whole picture being where I was, um, the fact that I'd been there countless times before the fact that, uh, there's all those other memories that I had that fed into it just sitting in that stream, you know, letting that little trout swim away. It's just, it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. And I hope you have those experiences. I hope that you have those streams that you've fished countless times. I hope that you have um, gone back to streams that you used to fish, that when you uh, go... Back home to maybe where you grew up or you visit friends in a place that you used to live that you do take even a few minutes to go walk that stream. And if you have the opportunity to, you know, bring a rod out that you, you go and do that and not for some great day of, you know, double digit fish or a really, really big fish, but just for the opportunity to get out there and fish and experience it and explore it and relive some memories, um, not to, to escape where you are in your current situation, but to just enjoy what has come before and what you're able to do. It's really a blessing. It's very cool that we were created to kind of think this way, to be able to have a memory, and to have a memory that is uh, sensory and uh, one that uh, can get moved by sight, by smell, by uh, touch, by taste, and uh, and by sound, uh, even if it has to do with uh, uh, one of Golden Earring's two greatest hits. One other quick note before I get to some other fly fishing content. You know, this is a different style of writing. This is not how I usually write on castingacross.com, but uh, that's one of the fun things about the website is I can kind of write however I want to write. But this article got a good little pop, and I think people resonated with it. But um, like I talked about last week, exploring different writing styles, it's it's a fun thing. It's a a very much a change of pace from what I do 9 to 5. So hopefully you appreciate it. Let me know. Uh, Matthew at castingacross.com and before I get to um, the, some more fly fishing content, just a reminder if you can leave a review and a rating on iTunes, that is super helpful I appreciate it, it gets it gets the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast in front of more eyes and ears and uh, so if you have a moment go ahead and do that. This week on castingacross.com the first article is called The Right Tools Even for the Small Jobs so I alluded to this uh, last week on the podcast, that I don't want to make things so gear focused, but we're getting to that time of year where people start realizing they need this little, you know, gadget, or they need this thing because they didn't have it this year, or the one that they had broke, or you know, they haven't to get Christmas presents or whatever. I'm a firm believer that small things need to work well, and uh, it's worth spending a few more dollars on it. You know, if it's a ten dollar cheapo, get the fifteen dollar good one it'll last you a long time so in this article i gave four examples of that and uh, the right tools even for the small job i talk about four new products from loon and if you've listened or read for any period of time you know i like loon tools i like loon tools um for a few reasons one they're durable two they're affordable i mean there are higher end fly tying tools absolutely but for for my kind of fly tying and for most fly tying i just i can't justify it um but they're also durable and they are comfortable. They're, one of their, their series of their fly tying tools is called the Ergo Series, and it's all about ergonomics. It's about how it fits in your hand. Honestly, the, the business end of a fly tying tool, that's important, but that the precision of a pair of scissors or of a bobbin or some other tool is great and all, but if it's cumbersome in my hand, then that's really going to detract from my ability to use that and my desire to use that tool. And one of the things I mentioned in this article is that a tool should be somewhat pleasurable to hold and use. I was reorganizing my garage last night and there's some tools I'm like why don't I use that? I think well it's because it's it's awkward. It doesn't it's not weighted right or the the handle just feels bad or the it needs to be kind of re-gripped or something like that. And the same is true with fly tying and fly fishing tools. I like to use the tools that feel good. The the nippers that I have I like because they they are firm and they work and they do their job. And I can say that without reservation about the four fly tying tools um that I reviewed in this article. So check them out. There's two heavy-duty pair of scissors. These are excellent scissors. These are actually a little bit more expensive, but for this style of scissors, if you've ever um, gone into a craft store and checked out like, high-end scissors, these are actually very reasonable for what they are, and they are sized for a uh, real hand but for the kind of jobs that you're going to encounter in fly fishing and fly tying. But then there's also a uh, dubbing pick as well as a knot tying tool. And if you don't have a knot tying tool, you're missing out. Don't think you can do everything well with just your hands. So that was Monday on castingacross.com. Wednesday on Casting Across was a very cool article. It's one that I've, I was really pumped to do because um, I enjoy uh, sharing new things. So this is uh, called Kickstarter on the fly rod holder so the -the on-the-fly rod holder is a great little product and uh, it is basically a Rod holding device that magnetically attaches to your car. So this is not for blazing down the highway or um, you know going down a mountain at 50 miles an hour. This is for going from one hole to the next. Uh, A use that I didn't mention on the article that I think would be perfect is if you fish on the coast and you walk and wade uh, casting in the surf um, or casting kind of into uh, you know into rocks or into estuaries. And you have to bounce from spot to spot to chase the tide and chase the fish this is a great way to not have to shove your nine foot or ten foot rod into the back of your truck or into the back of your car but to just throw it on the outside of your car and bounce from one hole to the next you know, I do that all the time. Um, back when I had the Subaru, it was very easy to fit a 9-foot or 9-foot-plus rod into my car. My Mazda doesn't have the same length, and so I, I can't do anymore. So I have to break the thing in half, then it all tangles up, and uh, and you have to watch out for the tip, and then you add another person to the situation or some kids to the situation. It's just miserable. So if you don't want to go the um, you know whole way in and, and dive in head first and get a rooftop rod rack, which those have a purpose, and I've written about them. I'm not anti roof rod racks, but if you just want something that can move a fully rigged rod from point A to point B, kind of just within the same stream system or or around the, the, the town, then this is an awesome, awesome little tool. It's small, it's in the Kickstarter phase, which means that it requires backers. But for a $20 backing of this project that has an $8,000 goal, then you will get one if it, if it, if it comes to uh, fruition. And it's absolutely worth $20, because so, this doesn't just hold the rod. Um, and there's two pieces. There's the part that kind of cradles the reel, incredibly secure. Um, your reel and your rod are not going to pop loose. And then there's another part that is a foam uh, clip for the uh, uh, other end of your rod, so it, it holds it sturdy. Um, but underneath there are rubberized magnets. And I wrote in the article, I but I just want to share it. I got my little pocket knife out to cut open the tape on the box from this little little plastic box inside of a box, and uh, my knife stuck to the outside of the cardboard. That's how powerful the magnets on this thing are. So I drove around and uh, against the manufacturer's warnings at over 30 miles an hour, um, taking tight current turns and stuff like that, risking my uh, rod and reel um, to see if this thing would hold. And it helped just fine. Nothing moved, nothing shifted. I didn't scratch up the finish on my car. But um, not only does it hold your rod as you're driving around, but this is a great little uh, caddy for sticking to the side of your car. And if you're putting your waiting boots on, your waders on or you're getting rigged up or you're eating lunch you can snap your rod in it and it's going to stay out of the way you're not going to um forget it because on the top of your car you're not leaning it over so that somebody can bump into it or kick it or something like that it's very handy kind of third hand while you're at your car cool little product definitely worth checking out And i would say that my recommendation uh this week is that you back the on-the-fly rod holder. So uh, this is being recorded at the end of September 2020. The Kickstarter goes until the end of October, um, or the, the kind of the, the mid-end of October. I think it's like the 21st, if I if I have that correct. But back it. I mean, this is somebody who is you know, trying to come up with a solution to a common problem. Not trying to get rich, just a fly fisher who wants to um, do something in uh, in fly fishing. It's a really cool thing. There's a number of, of products that I currently use that uh, were started on Kickstarter. And uh, crowdsourcing and crowdfunding, excuse me, is kind of a, a, a cool thing that we can do these days. And uh, this is definitely a product that I think a lot of people would use. It'd be a great little thing to have, kind of a point of sale at a cash register at a fly shop. Um, and the, the kind of thing that you think, oh, I'm not going to use that, but then once you have it and you play with it, you realize, you know what, I do use this a lot, it's very handy, and it keeps my rod safe. If you're one of those people that has to rig your rod up first, you know, you should rig up your rod last and get everything on, get ready to go on the stream, and then rig up your rod. But if for whatever reason you have to rig up your rod first or you keep your rod rigged up in the car, having this thing, snapping it on the outside of your car, pulling your rod out, throwing it up there, um, it's gonna keep it safe and it's going to make your life a lot easier. And twenty bucks, it's definitely, definitely worth it. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast. Three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.